Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. My name is Justin Bowman. Um, I am on staff here at Redeemer as the middle school ministry director, along with my wife, Tammy. I also work full-time for the Lansing Board of Water and Light as what we call a market operations settlements analyst. I won't bore you with explaining those details, but I can tell you that it is not what my wife describes as buying and selling weather all day. Today I will be talking to you about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is Christian summer camps. Specifically the two that I have had the pleasure of serving at, Christian Athletic Camp and Wesley Woods. But before I get into that, some of you may not know me or my story of how I got here, so I've decided to share it with you. I grew up in a church that met out in Grand Ledge. On a good Sunday, there would be 60 people in attendance. So it was a small church, to say the least. Growing up, I was very involved, and in high school, I absolutely adored the youth group that we had there, as well as its leaders. We would meet every two weeks in the dingy church basement, and if there were 15 students on a given afternoon, that group felt huge. We averaged about six to eight. We left that church around 13 years ago, and sadly, it closed its doors soon after. At the time, my middle child was attending a fabulous preschool here at Redeemer. My wife was babysitting what felt like a hundred kids to me, and the preschool was very convenient for her because in her words, it was a drive-through preschool where she could just pull up to the doors, the teachers would take our son from the car, and at the end of the day, they'd put him back in. To us, this church was a mega church, given what we had known up to that point. My wife knew one of the teachers was very involved here, so she asked her this very important question. Is this church a good church, or is it filled with crazy people? <laughs> I think it caught her a little off guard, but she handled it well, so we decided to give it a shot. Our first week attending here was Easter Sunday, so production was in full force, and we absolutely loved it. The church was huge, so we felt we could just come, blend in, and leave without ever getting too involved. That mindset didn't last for long. In the fall, we jumped into teaching Sunday school. Tammy was with the five-year-olds, and I was with the high schoolers. Typically, during a worship service, we liked to sit in the left center section towards the back. But one fateful Sunday morning, one of our children wanted to sit closer to the front. So we obliged and came up to the second row. After hearing John Atkinson speak back in June, I've realized the secret. If you want Pastor Rod to ask you to be involved, those three rows are the ticket. After service that morning, Pastor Rod quickly approached us and said, I need to talk with the two of you after service. And then he walked away. <laughs> so we looked at each other, petrified, and my next thought was, what did we do? Our kids were well behaved, or so I thought. I just knew that we were in trouble. So when we got a chance to speak with Rod, he extended an offer us for, us for us to join the staff as the middle school ministry directors. 
It was actually perfect timing for us. My wife's babysitting days were coming to an end, and we knew it was a great opportunity. He never told us it would be challenging and exhausting, but equally a wonderful and amazing place to work. So after we thought and prayed about it, we accepted, and it has been a wild ride for the past 12 years. But we are so grateful that we were given the opportunity. Now this wasn't just a job offer from Pastor Rod. It was a calling from Jesus. We didn't know it at the time, but looking back, it is quite clear. As with many things in life, when we are in the moment, we may not understand the magnitude of the situation. This rings true for many areas of life, but as we said, I'm gonna focus on a season we just completed, which is church summer camp season. Two weeks ago, my wife, my kids, and I concluded two consecutive weeks of summer camp. The first at Christian Athletic Camp, which is seventh graders through high school grads, and the second at Wesley Woods, which is kids up through sixth or seventh grade. And yes, I'm still tired. <laughs> but I do want to start by saying thank you to this congregation. Through your generous giving, camp is made possible for numerous kids to attend. The scholarship fund is able to help so many who couldn't otherwise afford to go. And it lessens the cost of camp for countless others, myself included. Camp is expensive, and that's no secret, but its value is so much more to those who are able to attend. So this year at Christian Athletic Camp, I asked some of the kids in our group to give me a one or two sentence quote about what camp has meant to them. And here they are. Brandon, who is 14, said, CAC is a place where I can connect to God. It provides a safe place to open up and be vulnerable. Kyra, who's also 14, says, it's the greatest week of the year where you become super close with so many new people. It's an amazing experience with our family and God. And Hannah, who's 17, says, a safeguarded space where you can feel God fully with no distractions and unlimited support. This is what camp allows people to experience. I want you to notice the quotes did not mention sports, competition, or anything of that nature. They mentioned God and the things that happen when they feel fully connected to him. The Bible verse we're gonna focus on today is from the book of Luke, chapter five, and it's verses one through 11. And it states the following. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, Go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, 
O Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The disciples spent the entire day fishing, as was their daily routine. And after a long, hard day of not catching anything, Jesus told them to recast their nets. Now, these were not nets in the way that we would think of them today. They were most likely large, bell-shaped nets that would have lead weights all around the outside. The system of using these to fish was throwing them into the water. The weights would make the nets sink around the fish, and the fishermen would then pull on a cord that would close the net and bring it back to the surface, hopefully with fish inside. I can only imagine that this process was very physically demanding and tiring. So when the day of fishing was over, the last thing they wanted to do was recast those nets into the water. Simon responded by stating what the day had gained them, but since it was Jesus instructing him, he recast the nets. In doing the same thing he routinely did, the nets were now overflowing with fish, and they had to call others to come help haul them in. It's hard to imagine if Jesus gave us an instruction that we would balk at it and basically tell him that it's not going to produce anything. Now this illustrates just how normal the disciples were, that even they would question Jesus' commands. Simon Peter knew that Jesus had healed sick people and cast out demons, yet this miracle left him in awe. His first response was to realize his own insignificance in comparison to this man's greatness. Peter knew he had been fishing all day and had nothing to show for it. Something he now realized was that Jesus cared about his day-to-day activities and that he understands our daily needs. After witnessing this, that is when the disciples decided to leave everything and follow Jesus. Summer camp poses a very difficult decision for students when they arrive back home. Do they leave everything, meaning the things they used to do that they know they shouldn't? The people they spend their time with that are bad for their faith development and their soul? Do they change their ways so that everything they do is centered on Jesus? This is a post-camp struggle for many, but it's not a surprise. We talk about this situation at camp. We talk about it in our study groups. We have conversations with campers throughout the week. Basically, this is a decision they know is coming. They spend hours in their daily routines on various sports, band, music lessons, and whatever else they are working to get better at. When they have an encounter with Jesus, he calls them to continue these endeavors. However, he now asks that they operate with him as their guide. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to stop fishing and use some other system. He simply told them 
to cast the nets the same way they had been doing. The difference is, Jesus was now involved in the process. Jesus was guiding the fishermen. When Jesus calls, if we listen, the result will be life-changing. At camp and in everyday life, Jesus calls us in little and big ways, but it's different for each person. Some may even be skeptical if students ever experience an encounter with Jesus while at camp. I am here to tell you that they absolutely do. They may not even know it, but the staff can tell. We can see it in their smiles, we can hear it through their laughs, and sometimes throughout the week, through their cries. We can see it during times of worship and in the times of teaching and discussion. We also see it during our sport and activity sessions where you have someone who's great at something showing someone else how to do that for the first time. My favorite event to watch at Christian Athletic Camp is what we call a five-mile relay. This video will show you a little bit of what it looks like. We run it at night under the lights because it's July and it's really hot around 4.30. We didn't get to run it this year because the track at Caledonia High School in Grand Rapids is being resurfaced. But basically, each camper has to run one lap around the track. Some of them have to run two because each team has to complete a total of 20 laps for five miles. Each lap is 400 meters. Here's my team from two years ago, just before the relay. Because it's better than the picture after the relay. <laughs> During the week of Christian Athletic Camp, we compete in a decathlon. There are 10 different events that are scored and totaled all throughout the week. And because I'm a loyal fan, this team from 2018 was called the Detroit Lions. And yes, we finished dead last. <laughs> We had a lot of fun though. Now to some, this five mile relay is fun because a lot of the campers consider themselves runners. I'm a runner, so I love to watch them run, especially the ones who float by so fast that it seems effortless. But my favorite part of this relay is watching the students who hate running. Here's why. You will never see anyone cheer for and encourage someone else with more vigor than the teammates of the students who do not enjoy this event. To some, that 400-meter run may as well be a marathon. I've talked to some campers about it. They stress about it for days before camp and do not like it one bit. But then they have the biggest smile on their face when their teammates are congratulating them when it's over. Camp can be described as a week of chaos, because it kind of is, but in the still singular moments, there is greatness happening all day long. And that wouldn't be possible without Jesus. I know most in this crowd are not campers. Maybe for you, Jesus calls you to forgive or to seek forgiveness. Maybe he calls you to step out in faith at your job or even to step away and find a new one. Maybe he's calling you to have the conversation with someone that you don't want to have, 
but you know you need to have. There are countless ways Jesus can call us and have an encounter with us. It doesn't just happen at camp. It can happen anywhere. This was my fourth year on staff at Christian Athletic Camp and my 11th at Wesley Woods. My wife and I were recruited pretty hard when we uh, started working here at Redeemer, and since at the time our kids were young, it just made sense to jump into Wesley Woods. What I thought was I would try it out for a year and then try Christian Athletic Camp with the older kids. But I tell you what, that first Monday morning session in chapel with kids jumping around like crazy, getting super sweaty, and singing at the top of their lungs, some of them worse than me, I was hooked. In that moment, I knew Jesus had called me to the camping scene. It took a few years to get us to Christian Athletic Camp, basically until our kids got older and involved in that also. But it's clear that camp is a place that I am called to be. So, when Jesus calls, what do we do? How do we respond? The first thing is to put Jesus first. Give to him your obedience, trust, and loyalty. You must reorient your life around Jesus. Everything you do should be guided by him with an eternal kingdom impact in mind. As we go through our daily routines and dealings, everything we do and say can accomplish one of two things. It can either draw people to Jesus or turn them away from him. Many people may wrestle with Jesus calling for long periods of time, sometimes even years. I can assure you, Jesus' calling will always prevail. The good news is you don't have to take my word for it because it's in the Bible. Romans 11.29 says, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. The calling will always be there, as was his promises in this verse to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promises to bless them and make of them a great nation. God will never withdraw the call he offers to you. When God calls you to follow him, he's making a promise to you that will change your life. Now, if you're anything like me, one reason you fight the calling is that you may feel inadequate to step into the role he's calling you to. There are a few things to remember when this happens. First, our adequacy comes from God. He makes us adequate for what he's calling us to. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Second, God uses our weakness to show his strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And third, God will be with you. God will always be with us. It's important to remember that we are never alone. Even Moses second-guessed himself after God instructed him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. In Exodus 3, 11 through 12, it says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? 
Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. These are signs of doubt. Doubt is a process that takes place when people are learning. In middle school ministry, we tell the students often that doubt is okay to experience because it means they are trying to understand new information and concepts. You can't doubt something that you haven't yet learned. In the Bible passage we opened with, I would imagine the disciples had plenty of doubt before casting their nets back into the water as Jesus commanded. And if they were anything like me, at least a few of them would have thought, sure, Jesus, why wouldn't a carpenter be an expert on fishing? So when Jesus calls, doubt often leads to feelings of inadequacy. Now, I have often felt this over the years. The fact that I, a normal guy, have been called to lead students to grow in their faith and sometimes to meet Jesus for the first time. This is an overwhelming thought to me. I'm not qualified for this. I am by no means a Bible expert, and truth be told, I don't even like to read. So that poses a challenge in itself. But we all have our gifts, and mine, if anything, is making this process enjoyable and fun for the students. So if you ever feel inadequate, and perhaps that's what's holding you back from leaving this place, walking into the gym and saying, yes, I'd love to volunteer for middle school ministry. Remember these words from Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God planned our calling long ago. So when he calls you to it, you are already adequate and qualified to jump right in. This may not mean you're an expert or the best person ever to do what you're being called to. There will most likely be a learning curve and a period that requires some patience. But nonetheless, when Jesus calls you to be a part of something, it's because he knows you are ready and able to take on the challenge. So when you think Jesus is calling you to something, please remember and do these three things. First, pray to God to clearly reveal his calling to you. It's important to do this first step so you can clear your mind and heart of distractions and focus on what you feel you are being called to. Second, prepare your heart and mind to receive and accept the calling. Instead of muting the call and running the other way, open your heart and mind to how your life and the lives of others could be impacted for all eternity once you begin this new journey. And third, commit to the calling, knowing that you are adequate and qualified for what Jesus is calling you to. All of us have doubts about ourselves as well as a good level of fear. Keep in mind that God chooses plans for you long before you were even born. And in this moment, he is simply laying out for you 
what he has prepared you to do for your whole life. So when Jesus calls, jump right in. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to all gather today in your presence. We know the plans you have for us. Please help us to understand that we are adequately qualified when you call us to those plans. We are masterpieces you created in your image to do your work of furthering the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.